Okay. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the August 4th Board of Zoning Appeals meeting. My name is Luke Mortensen, and I'll be filling in for Catherine this month as staff liaison to the Board of Zoning Appeals. With me is one of our newer planners, Drew Bilby. We will work alongside the chair to facilitate tonight's meeting's proceedings. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, please mute yourself when not actively speaking. Please keep your video on for the duration of the meeting. If you're participating by phone, you can enter star six to mute and unmute your phone. There will not be any screen sharing as part of the meeting this evening. All attachments, reference materials, and submissions from the public uh, are included in tonight's agenda packet. Some very good news for all of you that is a difference, uh, different from the last meeting. Following guidance from our city attorney's office, board members, applicants, and staff are no longer um, required to state their name and title each time they speak. The, um, the chair will call for in-person public comment and virtual public comment separately for those who wish to speak. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each commissioner individually to provide their vote. Staff will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. With that, I will turn it over to our chair. Um, and actually, we are, our chair is no longer on the board and our vice chair is absent tonight. So one um, of our first items we'll need to take care of tonight is nominating a chair pro tem for tonight's meeting. Um, regular elections will take place in October for longer term positions. So um, I will throw it to the board to begin discussion about nominating a chair for tonight. Okay, board members. First, I challenge any of you not to preface a statement with this is board member Hill or Shalinsky. We've been doing it for two years, so good luck. So anyway, does anybody want to uh, nominate or nominate themselves for chair? Um, yes. I would like to nominate Travis. Uh, I think you did a great job last time and you're like taking leadership right here by being the first to talk. So um, I think that would uh, work great for me. Thank you, Barry. Is there a second to Barry's uh, motion? I'll second that one. OK, looks like uh, board member Rankin has seconded board member Shalinsky's motion. Uh, staff, I'd ask you to call the roll on the motion. Thank you. And and first, I'm going to actually make sure we have quorum. I'm sorry about that. I should have done that before this first item. Yeah. I'm going to read roll and we'll determine if quorum is met. Uh, board member Shalinsky. I am here. Board member Clark. Board member Hill. I'm here. <laughs> Board member Gardner. Board member Herod. Present. Board member Rankin. I'm present. And board member, board member Weisner. Okay, with that, we have quorum. At the same time, we have a motion on the floor uh, to nominate uh, board member Herod for a, uh, tonight's pro tem chair. Um, I'll call the roll on that 
uh, now. Board member Shalinsky. Yes. Board member Hill. Yes. Board member Herod. Aye. And board member Rankin. Yes. All right, thank you. The motion for pro tem chair Herod carries. Uh, thank you. And I was just about ready to say this is chairperson Herod. So <laughs> just about did it. So anyway, um, so let's take care of some of our um, initial stuff on the agenda. So it looks like next thing on our agenda is communications. Do we need to acknowledge any communications to come before the board? Anyone? We had a number of, yes, we had a number of um, additional commun email communications come in today about the second agenda item on Vermont Street. They came in after the 10 o'clock deadline. Um, those that were received prior to that deadline are included in the uh, materials tonight. Okay, very well. Um, any board members need to disclose any ex parte communications to come before you? Uh, yes, sort of. Okay. Um, but not really. Um, Why don't we go I, ahead and tease it out I, a little bit? I, I will uh, explain. I had uh, a very short email conversation uh, with Mr. Watkins earlier in the week uh, about a matter totally unrelated to the matter on our agenda tonight. Okay, and you don't have any sort of like attorney client or any sort of adversarial relationship with Mr. Watkins that would bias you regarding the his agenda item tonight? Not at all. All right, is that acceptable to everybody else, including Mr. Watkins? All right, hearing nothing. <laughs> and I see Mr. Watkins giving the thumbs up. All right, um, let's move on. Luke, will there be any agenda items that will be deferred this evening? There have been no items deferred from tonight's agenda. And just a reminder, we will be meeting uh, as the Board of Zoning Appeals tonight and then also as the Sign Code Board of Appeals as well. All right, very well. Well, then um, having resolved that, we'll move on to the next um, part of our agenda, which is public hearing. And it looks like the first thing to come before us tonight will be agenda item B-22-0029. And this is regarding a property at 908 Drum Drive. I'd ask the staff to present on this item. Good evening again, board members, Luke Mortensen, Planner with Planning and Development Services Department. As Chair Herod just noted, public hearing item number one is a variance from the required setback area for a wall, fence, or hedge on a corner lot that has a rear lot line that abuts an interior side lot line in a residential district. The proposed variance would reduce the setback length to zero feet and the setback depth to, um, excuse me, and, and reduce the setback depth on, at 908 Drum Drive. The subject property is an approximately 11,784 square foot platted lot. The property was platted and recorded in 2006 under the city's previous zoning code. For Douglas County records, the existing residential structure was constructed in 2013 under this current land development code. 
Both the subject property and the subject structure were developed in conformance with the applicable codes at the time. Corner lots with rear lot lines that abut interior side lot lines are not unique to the RS7 zoning district or the city of Lawrence. While the platted shape of the subject property may be considered unusual when compared to traditionally gridded street networks in other parts of Lawrence, the curvilinear streets and the resulting oddly shaped lots do not necessarily constitute a uniqueness so egregious that necessitates, that necessitates this setback variance. Moving on to criteria number two, uh, which concerns adverse effects on adjacent property owners or residents. In staff's opinion, the requested variance will not adversely affect the rights of adjacent property owners or residents. A reduced fence setback would not restrict the adjacent property owners and residents from maintaining their existing code compliant detached dwelling land uses. Criteria three focuses on unnecessary hardship as defined by section 20-1701 of the land development code and included in the staff report. Installation of a code compliant fence structure will not remove the applicant's right and ability to maintain a code compliant detached dwelling land use. The proposed variance request would be a solution to a design preference rather than a relief mechanism to mitigate the unnecessary hardship created by strict adherence to the land development code. Criteria number four concerns adverse effects on public health, safety, morals, order, convenience, prosperity, and general welfare. In staff's opinion, granting the requested variance may create an adverse effect upon the above listed elements. Setbacks for walls, fences, and hedges maintain an unobstructed plane to ensure both vehicle and pedestrian safety. The fifth and final criteria concerns the general spirit and intent of the land development code. In staff's opinion, approval of this variance is inconsistent with the spirit and intent of the land development code. The code's purpose and intent for the required setback area is to provide broad, generally, generally unobstructed sight lines for pedestrian and vehicle traffic. A solid privacy fence within the required setback area does not align with the code's purpose and intent to maintain full sight lines. The variance process is intended to equalize the development process and mitigate unnecessary hardships caused by strict adherence to the land development code. To conclude, staff recommends denial of this proposed variance to reduce the required setback for a wall, fence, or hedge on a corner lot with a rear lot line that abuts an interior side lot line in a residential zoning district. With that, I'll wrap up um, and can stand for questions. Our property owner and applicant is with us on Zoom tonight as well. Thank you, Luke. Um, does anybody have any questions for staff on this issue? Uh, yeah. Um, I want to make sure that I understand what the request is. Uh, Well, no, I think I understand the request. I guess uh, I'm going to ask about the figure on page eight of the staff report. Um, and it's um, my understanding that uh, it is staff's position that um, the applicant can build a fence uh, but has to uh, essentially take that little, I'm going to call it a notch, uh, 
on the northeast corner of the property in order for it to be compliant. Is that correct? That's correct. So that notch needs to be 25 feet in length and the depth needs to be one half of the adjacent front setback. So in this case, that depth needs to be 12 and a half feet because the front setback in the RS7 zoning district is 25 feet. Okay, so if that's the case, um, I was there today. I looked at the uh, property. I looked at the street. You know, I sat in my car and um, approached the site from various angles. And um, my question is with regard to criteria four, um, I'm not seeing how that little notch does anything to uh, address any line of sight issues um, that could arise from any approach or either street. Um, it, it arguably could affect uh, the neighbors, perhaps, um, but uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding how uh, you reach your conclusions with regard to criteria four, uh, because that doesn't seem like uh, changing the setback in that particular part of the fence would have any effect on line of sight whatsoever. Um, okay, yeah, so uh, this code section was given, not given, but guided by our MSO, our, our streets folks, and, and as every property is different, um, their, you know, continued opinion is that, like you mentioned, this serves as um, open sightline space for people backing in and out of that adjacent property. So in this case, it would be the simple lane property. They believe that for vehicle safety and for pedestrian safety, um, that space needs to be free and clear of structures. Um, obviously, you can't make code for every type of property in the city. And that's why we have a code section that's applicable to corner lots adjacent to lots with interior side lot lines. So, so yes, it is applicable to a, to a, a large number of lots in the city. Does anybody have anything else for staff on this item? Oh, Tressa? Yeah, can I clarify something? When I'm looking at that same figure, there's a blue line coming from the house on Simple Lane uh, and then a yellow line. What's the point of the two? Is one having mm -hmm. something to do with line of sight from that property on Simple Lane? So are you looking at page eight of the staff report? You know, I've, uh, page I think eight. she's looking at page 12, isn't she? I'm um, thinking, yes, page 12 of 13. Okay, so that, 
That was provided by um, our applicant, so that might be better for the applicant to answer. All right, well, we'll get there in just a second. Because <laughs> are there any other questions for staff? No, uh, is our applicant present? Yes, I'm here. Hi there, would you like to present on this agenda item? Uh, yes, I can. I'm sorry. I'm very nervous. And, no, uh, don't, don't be nervous. Just just tell us what you think we need to know. And then there might uh, be a couple of questions for you. Okay. Sure. Um, I to, to address Tressa's question, I had um, tried to provide what I believe is the site line from the property at Simple Lane. Um, I have the benefit of being a civil engineer, so I, I really understand and respect the uh, desire to maintain and the importance of maintaining um, a clear sight line from the neighbor's property. Um, and I, I believe that uh, because the neighbor's property has such a large front yard, that their line of sight um, actually is almost off of our property line entirely. Um, so uh, the way I envisioned was, you know, we're just asking to replace the fence that we have and it's current location, more or less, uh, with a privacy fence um, in the hopes that one day I can build a, a pool in the backyard for our kiddos. So, um, you know, having to follow that uh, notch, I guess, as Barry had referred to it, um, kind of results in some really, what I think is a really dangerous uh, fence line for a two-year-old and a four-year-old in the backyard and um, also removes that space in the backyard to be able to come back and request a, a pool permit at some point in time. So um, I guess I don't have much else. I read through the whole report and I, I didn't think it's worth going through everything line by line. So I tried to present the best I could. Super. Um, thank you, Ms. Rosebaugh. Um, do, does any board member have any questions for the applicant? Anybody? Um, okay, when you say privacy fence, um, are you, you're talking about um, six feet tall, is that correct? Yeah, six foot tall wooden fence. I mean, I'm still allowed to have that wooden fence along that red line. Um, I don't think we're uh, losing anything by building it kind of in that notched area or if there's a room for reducing it instead of uh, making it all trying to adhere to the 25 feet and the 12 and a half feet if if there's some wiggle room on going to buy to half of that space or allowing for an angled piece of fence through there um, to kind of maintain that line of sight for the neighbor i would certainly be open to that if that was an option so Um, so my question for staff would be um, about the fence height uh, is uh, six feet along the street um, compliant? Yes, so the um, the city code that um, requires or, or, or allows rear yard fences to be a maximum of six feet in height. So the height is not at issue here. It's the location of the fence. Thank you. 
And if you go to page um, eight of 13 of the, of this specific agenda item packet, um, you will see the allowed fence heights. So the orange is three to four feet. The yellow is four feet and the red signifies six feet. Now in this instance, and maybe this complicates things, our um, building codes official has already granted um, a a height variance for the side yard fence. So he has he has approved a six foot fence um, for the majority of their rear and side yard fence. And so just to remind you all, we're, we're discussing the location and not the height of the fence. Luke, when you say the side yard fence and the height variance, are you talking about the fence that would essentially run what along the north side of the property? What is it allowed to be stepped up to six feet Exactly correct. Okay. From four to six feet. Okay. Thank you. Um, does any other board member have any questions for the applicant? No, I don't see any. Don't see any questions. Um, staff, is there anybody else present that wants to um, present on this item? Are you guys interested in the second item? Very good. Uh, we have nobody in person and it does not appear that we have any Zoom commenters either. Okay. Well, at this time then, I'd be looking for a motion to close public comment. If that be the will of the board. Uh, I'll make that motion. All right, it's been moved by board member Shalinsky to co close the public comment period. Is there a second? I'll second it. All right. Moved and seconded. I'd ask staff to call the roll. All right. A motion to close public comment. Board member Shalinsky. Yes. Board member Hill. Yes. Board member Herod. Yes. And board member Rankin. Yes. Motion carries. Thank you. All right, board. It's to you. We can discuss. We can you can do whatever you want. Uh, well, as you all know, who have served with me, um, I'm usually pretty tough on these requests. Um, but um, I think uh, a notch um, would just, you know, it might be compliant, but I think it would look ridiculous in this location. Um, and I don't see that it serves the purpose uh, for which it's designed in terms of um, protecting line of sight from the neighbor's driveway because of the particular configuration here and the way that um, Simple Street is on an angle. Um, so the uh, neighbor's lot um, is kind of angular um, and they were given the opportunity to um, 
come here with notice and complain about it. Uh, I'm inclined to either grant the request or um, I think the applicant made a reasonable effort to compromise by saying, you know, she could see um, angling the fence so that it would essentially cut through the middle of that um, rectangle. And I, I think that could be a reasonable solution. And um, I'm always willing to be convinced otherwise, but I really think either of those would be a reasonable resolution to um, this particular application. Thank you, board member Shalinsky. Uh, does anybody else, any other board member want to be heard on this? I think that board members Hill and, and Rankin are waiting for somebody else to. <laughs> well, I was. <laughs> I was going to comment. I kind of like the idea of um, allowing it with uh, provision or the, doing the angle. Um, I think that's going to be kind of the nature of, you know, line of sight and making sure that's maintained. Um, but yeah, with, with the height already being uh, kind of granted, I mean, I don't know. That was kind of my one big hang up, but. It's kind of out of our hands. And yeah, right now I think I'm inclined to, to grant this, but maybe there's a point I haven't thought of. Okay, thank you. Well, Board Member Hill, we haven't heard from you. Do you have anything you want to add? Well, when I look at <clears throat> page 15, what I see on that blue line is 15 feet back from the sidewalk, you can still see down the street if you're backing out of that driveway. So it does seem like from that driveway that you have a clear line of sight. And I, right. if that's the issue, if that's why we uh, even have this setback, then uh, I, you know, I think the need is, is met without that. Right, okay. So what I think I hear the board articulating is, Regarding the first prong, uniqueness, staff goes correctly points out these these odd shaped corner lots are not unique, certainly to West Lawrence, but they are unique as far as like rectilinear, you know, old Lawrence goes. Um, I, I've seen enough of these corner lots come through 
the Board of Zoning Appeals over time that they do just present challenges. Seems like so many of the people that come through the as far as property owners go are sitting on a corner lot. Uh, I think you could find that the way this lot was laid out has created some uniqueness relative to people sitting on a traditional, you know, rectangular square shaped lot. Um, two staff has already advised it won't affect um, the rights of adjacent property owners. Number three, strict application of the code would prevent a hardship. That that notch, it is compliant with the code, but it certainly knocks out a large chunk of the applicant's backyard um, to what seems to be no discernible purpose because the the light the sight lines, you know, we can look. We're looking at overheads of this, and there's fairly large distances involved here where cars aren't just going to be popping. There's not a driveway right next to the applicant's property where a car is going to be popping out on the street. We're trying to back out on the street. Um, so you're taking a, you're talking about a fairly sizable chunk out of the space in this yard that is usable. That's the thing with these corner lots is there's a lot of, there's a lot of lawn to mow here, but the part of the yard they want to use here, you know, what on, you know, on the back of the house, that would take a chunk out of it. So, you know, maybe there could be a hardship there. Then we get to four, um, that goes to sight lines. I'm not seeing the sight line issue. I'm not sure if that's a pun or not. And then we all, then we get to the spirit of the code. This is, this is the one where if Catherine was here, she would, start advising us about things as far as what the code is designed to do and not designed to do. So, um, so having heard that board, does anybody want to discuss more? Does anybody want to make a motion? I'll make a motion. Um, I'll make a motion to grant this variance. All right, so board member Rankin is making a motion to grant the variance as requested by the applicant, finding that the five conditions have been met. Um, to grant the variance, uh, if that's a correct recitation, I'd ask for, there's a second available. Um, yeah, I would second that. Okay, it's been moved and seconded to grant the variance as requested by the applicant. There's no objection. I'd ask the staff to call the roll. All right, a motion to approve the variance as requested by the applicant uh, and shown in the staff report. Board member Shalinsky. Uh, I will vote yes. Board member Hill. Yes. Board member Herod. Pass me for a second. Board member Rankin. Uh, I'll vote yes. And board member Herod. I would vote no on this. 
The vote is three to one. The motion carries. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you to the applicant for your presentation tonight. So we're moving on. And the next item on our agenda tonight looks to be item B-22-00232 regarding a property at 1308 Vermont Street. Staff, do you want to present on this? Yes, and I'll just mention quickly before we, be, we begin to Diane before she leaves that I'll, I'll send you an email tomorrow and we'll follow up uh, tomorrow. All right. Uh, thank you, board member Her or Chair Herod. Um, as the chair just noted, public hearing item number two tonight is a variance from the required off-street parking standard for a proposed congregate living use um, is a reduction from eight spaces to five spaces located at 1308 Vermont Street. So criteria one focuses on uniqueness based on platting or zoning. The subject property is an approximately 5,850 square foot platted lot. The property was platted and recorded in 1863 as part of the original town site of Lawrence. This was 64 years prior to the adoption of zoning in the city of Lawrence in 1927. Per Douglas County records, the existing residential structure was constructed in 1910. However, the structure appears on Sanborn insurance maps as early as 1905. Regardless, the existing structure also came into existence prior to the adoption of zoning in Lawrence. The subject property currently maintains a non-conforming multi-dwelling residential land use. The subject property is zoned RM32-UC. That is our multi-dwelling residential zoning district with the Oread neighborhood conservation overlay. Multi-dwelling residential use is permitted in this zoning district. However, the subject property has seven dwelling units, which exceeds the maximum allowed density. Therefore, the existing land use is technically non-conforming. A brief zoning history and rundown of the maximum permitted residential densities is included in the staff report. The applicant pro proposes to renovate the existing structure and establish a congregate living land use. Congregate living is a permitted land use in this zoning district with an administratively approved site plan. Congregate living is different from multi-dwelling use because it is a single dwelling unit with at least five unrelated individuals sharing common spaces like kitchens and bathrooms. In order to establish a new congregate living land use, the applicant must provide one off-street space per bedroom. Therefore, in this case, the applicant must provide eight off-street parking spaces. The subject property is a standard 50 foot by 117 foot lot. This is common for the original townsite lots in portions of Old West Lawrence, downtown East Lawrence and the Oread neighborhood. Both the existing multi-dwelling use and the proposed congregate living land uses are common land uses in this subject neighborhood, um, including in similarly aged and sized structures. Staff cannot find any conditions of uniqueness based on platting or zoning that, necessi that necessitates this off-street parking variance. Criteria two focuses on the rights of adjacent property owners or residents. In staff's opinion, the requested variances will not adversely affect the rights of adjacent property owners or residents. A reduced off-street parking load would not restrict the adjacent property owners and residents from maintaining their existing land uses. 
Um, staff received a number of communications on this item. Those that were sent in before the 10 a.m. deadline were included in the packet, and those um, that came in after that 10 a.m. deadline were not, although they can be read um, tonight as public comment. Criteria number three focuses on unnecessary hardship as defined by section 20-1701 of the Land Development Code and included in the staff report. The subject property could be redeveloped as a five bedroom congregate living land use without a variance. This property is subject to the same zoning restrictions, land development code standards and ORIAD design guidelines as similar and adjacent properties within the ORIAD neighborhood. The proposed variance request would be a solution to a design preference rather than a relief mechanism to mitigate an unnecessary hardship created by strict adherence to the land development code. Criteria number four focuses on adverse effects on public health, safety, morals, order, convenience, prosperity, and general welfare. In staff's opinion, granting the requested variance will not create an adverse impact upon the above listed items. The request in question is contained within the parcel owned by the applicants. The proposed redevelopment would remove vehicles from parking in the right of way. However, a rear parking tray could be constructed independently of the eight bedroom proposed congregate living land use. And finally, criteria number five, the general spirit and intent of the code. In staff's opinion, approval of this variance is inconsistent with the spirit and intent of the land development code. The variance process is intended to equalize the development process and mitigate unnecessary hardships caused by strict adherence to the code. The subject properties existing and proposed land uses are permitted in the district so long as proper off-street parking loads are provided. It is not the code's intent to grant variances to compliant, um, newly established site planned land uses. To conclude, staff recommends denial of the proposed variance to reduce the required off-street parking load from eight parking spaces to five parking spaces for a proposed congregate living land use located at 13 1308 Vermont Street. With that, I'll wrap up and can stand for questions. The applicant is uh, with us on Zoom tonight. Okay, so I was muted. Ugh. All right. <laughs> so anyway, stumbled out of the gate there, but I'm going to get it back. So anyway, does anyone have any questions for staff on this issue? All right, I don't see any questions yet. It doesn't look like anybody has foolishly muted themselves. So anyway, uh, do we have the applicant present? I am here. Board go ahead here. and uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, present to us if you'd like. Yeah, I'd, I'd be pleased to. Thank you, Board Member Herod. My name is Patrick Watkins. Um, can you hear me okay? Just nod if yes. Okay, wonderful. Um, I'm an attorney. Um, I'm representing the property owner of record. Um, and before I begin, I, I do want to acknowledge Lucas and, and his work. Um, Luke, I should say. Um, he's always transparent. He's prompt with his responses, and I understand his role. And in interpreting the code um, and he's written a thorough report 
Um, so I appreciate his work. Um, I'd like to give you a little bit of color and background behind this request. Um, and, and there's a little bit there, but one of the things that's perhaps most important right now to in acknowledging is that I've talked to everybody that I think would care about this variance request. Um, and so I've had mo more than a dozen conversations with neighbors. Um, and one of those neighbors is the mortuary uh, across the street, McElwain Mortuary. One of them is the, the Castle Tea Room. Um, both of those groups support this variance, although uh, Warren McElwain Mortuary had submitted a letter in opposition early on. They submitted one later today uh, in, in support. In fact, his last sentence is, we've changed an objection to the project to being in favor of it. Um, the board of the Castle Tea Room also um, found themselves in support of this variance request, and they wrote um, a full-page letter about it. I know they deliberated and met several times about it. Um, and I don't want those important pieces of correspondence to go without being recognized, at least by me, but also um, I am just to cut to it before I dive into this discussion. I think it's worthy of your time and I'd like there to be an opportunity for you to see their letters, see the full written correspondence. I think there was three letters of support that were submitted today and I am uh, on behalf of the applicant we're fully supportive of continuing this hearing until your next scheduled meeting so that you can see um, the full public input if you'd like. Um, I also understand there might be a board member or two missing. So um, just to acknowledge that right off the bat, we are not opposed to a continuance. In fact, um, we are supportive. And I think at, at some level, to the extent there's any discussion that needs to be had, uh, we'd be happy to continue it. Um, but but to give you some background on this application, this, this house is in deep need of a full-scale renovation. Over the last couple of decades, it's served an important role providing housing to those people that might need it most. It, it's, it's not the most desirable of uses and it's not the most lucrative of uses, but it's a, a use that the community needs. Um, and the property at this point is no longer capable of serving that need. It needs to be renovated. It's, its size and its severe condition require something more than just cleaning it up. Um, I took a tour of it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and frankly, I didn't make it through the entire tour. Um, it, it needs the sort of renovation that you don't see very often. Um, we've seen them a couple times as a community. Once at 12th and Ohio, where a house was picked up off of its foundation, new foundation court. Uh, we saw it in, at 10th and Tennessee and 13th and Tennessee, where these beautiful old uh, treasures, part of the, the, the historic inventory of Oriad, need rehabilitation and they need something big. This house is one of those. And there, it needs to be converted from a large, dysfunctional, divided seven unit home. It needs to be restored in conformance with the Oriad design guidelines, which require that the floor plan, the exterior appearance all get improved. It needs ADA access. It needs the full scale of building code requirements, including sprinklers. Um, something less would be inadequate for the needs of the property, for the needs of the immediate neighborhood, for the needs of Oriad and the Oriad design guidelines. And there's only a few individuals, in my opinion, that can complete this sort of project. And one of them is under an agreement with the property owner to purchase it, but only under the condition that 
he can receive the sort of need in, and return that come with eight bedrooms. Now, that's not the reason for this request. We think we meet the full criteria uh, for a variance, but that's the underlying topic here. This, readies, this house is ready for a renovation. Um, it's capable of being renovation by this particular type of owner, um, but uh, he, he wants and needs to have eight bedrooms. So we started with a pre-application meeting with the staff. We discussed the proposal to dramatically rehabilitate the home. We looked at the various parking options. The design guidelines in Oriad will not allow us to pull in off of Vermont Street. And they don't count double stacking parking in the back. The most this property can permit or, or provide is five spots. Now there's a garage in the back, but we have enough space for four other spots. Um, so we were informed that if, if this house is to uh, file a building permit and a congregate living designation application, it would require a variance from eight spaces to five. That's the nature of this request. It's a, it's a directive from staff that if we uh, are seeking that sort of uh, accommodation, this, this is the forum to receive the relief requested. So we're here with that request today. It's a conditional variance upon a congregate use designation. We can't get the congregate use designation unless we file a site plan. The site plan would be subject to the full-scale renovation and building permit. So they're all tied together, together as a conditional variance. So we filed the application and I began talking to neighbors immediately. And I've spoken with many. Uh, we've talked to neighbor or representatives of the Oriad neighborhood. I, I spoke with Marcy Francisco um, on, on one occasion and we've emailed several times. We've talked to all of the immediate neighbors around this property. Um, what we found um, from all of the immediate neighbors that have been able to look at this project, all of the immediate neighbors on Vermont and on Massachusetts have submitted letters in support of the variance. Um, perhaps most notably, uh, many neighbors just simply indicated that they would not object to the application and they're not opposed. And I think maybe that silence within Oriad is noteworthy uh, in this sort of forum. Um, I, I have not been to, to, to City Hall Chambers to see who might be there, and I don't want to speak for anyone else, but um, I think this, the you might hear more from those that are not speaking that usually come out on parking issues. So we have a number of supportive statements, and to my knowledge, no objections. And I, I think this is a, a major accomplishment. Um, one of the letters that you might not see in your packet, uh, but that, that I received today was from the board of the Castle Tea Room, I mentioned this. The United Way rents a good portion of the Castle Tea Room and they, they submitted a, a supportive letter. The mortuary across the street um, submitted a, a, a supportive letter and that owner happens to own the parking lot in the house directly to the north. The, the uh, neighbors directly to the south, the sailors supported a, a the uh, variance and submitted a letter. I happen to, to own and, and be rehabilitating a house across the alley next to the um, uh, the castle and and my wife submitted a letter so it uh, didn't look like it was coming directly from me but that's me behind that. We're, we're invested in that block. Um, the next three neighbors across there are all the same people that support this. Um, Mike Delaney is a member of the Preservation Alliance who submitted a letter in support. So I'm, I'm really pleased to have the support of the folks that I talked to. And I'm pleased that people were willing to stand up and, and submit something in writing. And, and what is it that all of these supportive letters 
and, and these people that are willing to, to write something found so compelling about this variance, I think it's easy uh, to understand. Um, it's a small request in exchange for a really dramatic improvement. What's exchanged for three off-street parking spaces? It's the creation of five off-street, excuse me, yeah. It's the creation of five off-street parking spaces, which is an increase of five spaces. Uh, this on its own was enough for people, but the, the owner plans to add at least another two, possibly three stackable off-street spaces. This property on its own should be able to supply all the off-street parking that's needed, uh, with, even though those stackable parking spaces are not counted. That, that's a compelling piece of information. We get to transform easily the most dilapidated and difficult to renovate property into one of the nicest on the block. We get another preservation achievement within the Oriad neighborhood, preserving the floor plan, the footprint, the exterior appearance of a more than 100-year-old home. We bring a house up to code that currently is likely considered to be a, a safety concern. We improved the view shed for two historic properties along Mass, both of which have received dramatic investment, both of which uh, appreciate the attention given to this request. And we get a significant investment in the Oriad neighborhood on the block that just hasn't seen it yet. Um, without the parking variance, we lose these opportunities. We exchange them for something less. The property won't redevelop like what is needed. The property won't be capable of being brought back into the inventory of restored Victorian homes, and we continue without off-street parking. The staff report addressed the five conditions that must be met for granting a variance, and um, they have their concerns. Um, obviously, we disagree with a number of those, and I'll try to focus on those that the staff didn't find that this application met. Um, but the staff said that this property does not exhibit conditions of uniqueness. Um, we disagree. We don't know a property that's like this within the area, one with seven units, one without off-street parking, one that's in such a troubled condition. Um, this home is nothing if not incredibly unique. The staff determined that the requested variance is the result of a design preference. And again, we strongly disagree. Um, everything about this redevelopment of this property is a hardship. The house currently has eight bedrooms. It has seven individual units that are recognized by the rental inspection program, and they've been there as long as anybody can remember. It's not actually possible to fit seven or eight parking spots on this uh, lot in terms of the, the allowed parking that the, that the design guidelines um, call for. Um, they didn't allow pull-in parking off of Vermont Street. These dynamics on their own could be considered an arbitrary inter interference with the rights of a property owner. And luckily for us, it's not necessarily the staff's opinion that guides whether or not these variances are granted. That's why your board exists, to look at the staff's opinion, to look at the property owner's opinion, to look at the neighbor's opinions, to come up with your own opinion about whether a variance is appropriate. Your board has the authority to make these determinations. It has the authority to decide that this property is unique. It has the authority to decide if, this, if a hardship exists within the conditions. I guess I'd like to reiterate that we don't know of any opposition to this request. In fact, we have emphatic support from, from a number of nearby landowners. We have all of the support of the next door neighbors, all of which have an interest in its parking 
the parking dynamic is changing and oftentimes the code has trouble keeping up with what the parking needs are for a neighborhood. This particular block of Vermont, in my opinion, is far different than what you might see on the 11 or 1200 block of Ohio. Um, but I would reiterate again, we are perfectly fine with you all taking more time, allowing uh, this item of the agenda to be continued to a later date so that you can see the support letters so you can read for yourself what the neighbors say. Um, I'm, a, I'm available for questions. Lynn Meredith is in, in uh, the hall tonight um, and I'm, I'm communicating with him. Um, but we appreciate your time. We appreciate your thoughtfulness on this request. Um, we're happy to respond to any questions you might have. Thank you, Mr. Watkins. Um, so regarding, you've mentioned a couple of times, you wouldn't have any opposition to continuing, but I think pursuant to the rules that we operate under is once we've taken up an item, we have to see it all the way through. Um, yeah, we could have deferred it at the beginning of the meeting, but I think at this point, you know, we're we're in the air with you know the landing gear up, so we need to we need to keep going. Um, do we have anybody else, uh, public or uh, or a property owner, anybody else that wants to present on this issue? Yes, we have a couple different folks in the room. Um, if if any of you want to come up and speak, um, now is your time. No comment. You can be available for questions as well, if, if that's all you. Hi, I'm uh, Lynn Meredith. Um, I own uh, 1308 Vermont. Uh, something maybe we ought to touch on that no one has is um, the reimagining of the sizes of the uh, parking spaces. I believe we're going to be mandated to have electric vehicles here before too long. And I believe most of those cars, unless it's a Tesla, are going to be smaller. I don't know if the board's considered this, but um, perhaps you get more spots in the back in the same uh, uh, allotment of the area. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Meredith. Uh, does anybody have any questions for Mr. Meredith or anything like that, since he seems to be a, a neighbor just right there? Mr. Meredith, you're, you're the owner, I believe, right? I'm sorry. Are you the owner? Yes. He, um, oh, he, Mr. Meredith is the owner. All right, the owner. Awesome. Um, and then you guys did or did not want to speak? Okay. I'd say. Okay, go ahead. We have one more. Uh, my name is Gordon Sailors. Uh, my wife and son and I own the property just to the south of 1308. Uh, we took that house on, oh, it was probably seven or eight years ago. It was a house about ready to collapse into the basement. And we lifted that house, uh, went through the process of getting it declared a congregate resident. Uh, it's a beautiful house, uh, and I would agree with Mr. Watkins that um, when you are dealing with houses of this age and this condition, that it's imperative that you be able to have enough income to support the investment that you're put, putting in the house. And I would say that this house is approaching its expiration date where it will not be able to be saved. And as a neighbor, I would love to see investment in that house to improve 
not only um, the block, but uh, our house too. So that's all I have. Thank you, Mr. Sailors. Does any board member have any question for Mr. Sailors? Yeah, I, I believe he submitted a letter to us kind of outlining some of the things he just advised us regarding um, what it takes to bring a house like this back to, to life. And I'm not seeing any Zoom comments. I think board member Rankin might. I, this is for either Mr. Lockins or the property owner. Um, is this, when it's renovated, is this meant to be like some sort of special housing? I know Mr. Lockins said uh, renovating this will provide a need that's not there, but didn't really define the need. So yeah, I was, go ahead. Yeah, appreciate that uh, board member here. Um, we're, we're not, um, it'll probably be housing of similar sort to, to what you see on other places of the, of the block. It, it's not intended to have any sort of restrictions of use. Um, it's not intended to be affordable. Um, currently it serves a pretty particular group of people. Um, and, and it probably won't be carried forward after the renovation. Be happy to elaborate or follow up if you have any other further questions. I have one other question for Mr. Watkins before I forget it. I want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. You referred to stacked parking. You're talking about tandem parking or one in front of the other. Is that what you're talking about? Okay. Just want to make sure that I understood what you were telling us. Um, uh, oh, go ahead. Zelensky, go ahead. Yeah. Um, uh, this question is either for, uh, Mr. Watkins or Mr. Meredith. Um, so as I always do, um, I went by the uh, site and looked at it from the, well, usually there's not an alley, but there's an alley. So I looked at it from the front and the back. Um, and uh, the back is, uh, pretty rough right now um it's kind of uh overgrown and there's some uh looks like brush piles and stuff piled up in the back and in front of the garage and it's pretty clear that um there is currently zero parking taking place in the back or that can take place in the back um, in its current condition. Um, I saw somebody sitting on the front porch. Um, I don't know if that was a resident or if that was somebody that was just hanging out there. So I guess my question is, um, is some portion of the building um, currently occupied and uh if so um do the uh current occupants have cars and where are they parking yeah i think i can handle that and, and lynn can follow up if um if he if he sees anything to add um the current the property is currently fully occupied uh, to my understanding, there's eight beds and all of them are full. Um, Mr. Meredith has a, a good, a strong relationship with the folks at Burton Ash. He's supplying housing um, for a lot of folks that just need it. Um, and, and many of these people don't 
um, have any interest in being bothered, um, but most of them don't drive at all, probably not capable of driving. So uh, there is a low parking load for most of the current tenants. Thanks. That's correct. Uh, none of the tenants have cars, uh, none of them drive. Thank you. Um, is there any other public comment or is there any other questions for the applicant or the neighbors? I guess I have one more. Um, I think in the staff report, they mentioned something like if when renovated goes down to five bedrooms, then it would be compliant. If what's the magic number of seven? Why couldn't we go to five? We can go to five. I think they already advised us that I and Mr. Watkins will correct me. So this is this is the part where I get to check what I've heard. Um, but I think there's going to take a substantial influx of resources and money to make this project turn. And I think to recoup to make it pencil out, you need to put eight bedrooms in there. Is that a fair statement, Mr. Watkins? Yeah, that, that's part. That's a lot of the, the rationale behind why we're here. Um, we think that we meet the requirements of the variance for more than just the monetary side of things. But yes, that, that's part of it. Eight bedrooms is a part of uh, really the only people that are able to do this sort of project within the Oread. They all uniformly say uh, you need to preserve the bedroom count that's in the building. Right. Um. I'll take this opportunity, actually, um, kind of jumping on those coattails, and I hope that Mr. Watkins doesn't hate me for this, but Alaska, we have Mr. Sailors in the room who advises us he's got some direct experience and has shared with us both in live testimony and by letter. Um, does that, does, does what the applicant is saying, does that make sense? Is that jive with your experience restoring a similar property in the Oriad neighborhood, Mr. Mr. Sailors. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't bring my hearing aids tonight. Would you repeat that just uh, as far as my experience goes in doing the property next door? Yeah, so you've been listening to this presentation. Does this sound what the applicant is telling us? Does it sound correct? You know, given absolutely, absolutely. I can tell you that the uh, house to the south, which is of a similar size to probably 1308, we ended up with close to half a million dollars in that house. Uh, and that was to lift the house, put a whole new foundation under it. Uh, basically, uh, the house, like I said, the walls were caving in. Uh, we had to completely redo everything, uh, windows, wiring, plumbing, heating and air. It was installed with a sprinkler system uh, to make it safe. Uh, it's just, I feel like it's been a great improvement to the neighborhood and it is setting in on a great foundation. There isn't any reason that that house can't go another hundred years, just like it did the first go round. And I think that people lose sight of how expensive it is 
to do these projects, and especially now with the you know shortage of materials and the increases that have gone across the board from plumbing pipe to you know everything lumber plywood etc so i can certainly understand that the only way that it makes sense as a an investment is to maximize the number of bedrooms that you're going to have available uh to recoup the cost that you put into it so thank you mr sailors um can i ask another question mr sailors um, sure. so um in your project, um, how many bedrooms and how many parking spaces do you have? So we have uh, seven bedrooms and we have seven parking spaces. We have uh, five in the rear and then we have a garage. And then we also have a uh, spot that is adjacent to the garage, so. Does that so make sense? Is your lot then, was it just, did it have a little bit more room to accommodate those those other two spaces? It had, it had a driveway from the front that went into the garage. And so we have the five plus the garage plus the parking space beside the garage. Okay. That they kind of why as you go up to the garage, so. Okay, thank you. So you're on a 50 foot lot, but because you already had a driveway, uh, even though it doesn't meet current design guidelines, they kind of let you keep it basically. Yes, that's correct. So okay. yeah, the, the rear was, I mean, the rear was kind of a jungle similar to 1308 at the time. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was sort of unique in that respect that it did offer some additional areas to park. So Thank thanks you, so much for answering my question. Okay, anything else before I sit? <laughs> anything else? All right, I think we've we've heard everything we're gonna hear from the board regarding Mr. Sailors. Um, so I'll ask a question again. Is there any other public comment or anything? And Mr. Watkins, what do you have? I don't mean to disagree with you, um, uh, board member Herod, but I do want to just shed light on a code section and perhaps Luke can look into this, but 20-1301H1 um, does allow for continuances of public hearings. That I'm, I'm not totally familiar with the, the practices of the Board of Zoning Appeals, Luke may be able to, to educate me on this stuff, or, or of course you all, if you have something else, but certainly they can be deferred. Um, I think you're right about that. That's in part two of H. Part one does allow continuances of public hearing to a later date, so long as it's specified. Um, now that's entirely up to you to decide if, if you desire to do it. I just wanted to clarify that my understanding of the code is a little different. Um, I did check that code section before you know, suggesting it, but um, there may be more to it. Thank you, Mr. Watkins. Anybody else? Otherwise, oh, Mr. Schlinski. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to continue it and I'm happy to um, pursue it through discussion and a um, decision tonight. Um, certainly, 
we have a quorum. We also have several members who are not here. Um, uh, I'm not necessarily super comfortable making that decision. I mean, if Mr. Watkins is specifically requesting um, a continuance, then uh, I'm happy to honor that. Uh, if he's saying it's up to us, I'm inclined to just keep going. Well, essentially, it is up to you. You know, we could consult staff, and if we, you know, determine that we can take a continuance to a predetermined date, you know, you could do that by making the appropriate motion. Um, I'll tell you, you know, everybody's here, everybody spun up. You know, everybody's going. I think it'd probably be better to push through. And um, I know Mr. Watkins wants to share some letters with us, but I'll frankly just tell you, I, I just take him at his word that he's got letters in hand that, you know, people around said they support the project. And we got nobody by Zoom or nobody, you know, President City Hall saying otherwise. So, um, I don't have any reason to disbelieve Mr. Watkins' assertions that he's got, you know, two, three other letters that are are supportive. So that's why I don't have any problem um, moving forward with this agenda item. So having heard that, I think I'd be looking at this point that we're kind of starting to head down, you know, procedural paths and stuff like that, not so much public comment, I'd be looking for a motion to close public comment and bring this to the board. I'll make that motion. Okay, is there a second? I'll second that. All right, it's been moved to close public comment and seconded. I'd ask staff to call the roll. All right, a motion to close public comment. Chair or board member Shalinsky. Uh, I made the motion, I'll vote yes. Board member Hill. Yes. Board member Herod. Yes. And board member Rankin. Yes. Motion carries. Thank you, Luke. All right. And it's just, it's so strange not to just say this is chairperson Herod every time I want to like say something. <laughs> So I'm getting used to that. Um, so it's back to us. I will opine just real quickly that tonight we have our usual suspects. We have an oddly shaped corner lot needing a fence or a deck or something like that. And then we followed up. The chaser is a property sitting in the Oread neighborhood that needs to be brought into the 21st century. So I've, I've seen this movie before. I've, I've been here. And I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, it's unique. <laughs> okay? You got a 110-year-old property that is falling over, has no parking. Some places have driveways, some don't. Okay? Over the, over the years, there's been no zoning, then some zoning, then some more zoning, then some more zoning. If you follow the recitation on page four of this particular um, item, it's yeah it's unique so with that said <laughs> there's still four other um 
four other conditions that have to be found in order to grant this variance. Um, does anybody want to start us off? Well, yeah, I'll take the easy one. Um, obviously, this is not detrimental to the neighborhood because um, the neighbors have pretty well spoken on it. So, um, yeah, that's the easy one. There you go. Well done, board member Shalinsky. <laughs> okay, so I think you're talking about uh, number two. No, I don't think it would adversely affect the rights of adjacent property owners. Right now, they have a home that we've been advised by multiple sources is kind of reaching a tip over spot where something needs to be done to it or it might get too late to do something to it. Um, which, you know, I think the people in this neighborhood want to maintain the character of the neighborhood. And the best way to do that is by working with the 110 year old property that you have rather than building something, you know, in the 2020s. So, yeah, I would say that number two is met. I also appreciate well, and, the and actually, oh, go ahead. actually like building something new, um, depending on what it is, could run afoul of the um, castle because I believe that's a national register property. And so that's going to, yeah. you know, if we want to get to the hardship question, knocking it down, which is the easiest thing to do, uh, and by no means the best as, as someone who is um, interested in historic preservation myself, the easy thing to do could end up being a hardship. So they're kind of on the hardship criteria, you know, between a rock and a hard place in a lot of ways. Right. Anybody else? I think we're up to item or condition three. And that's the strict application of the provisions of this chapter for which the variance is requested will can, well, yeah, we'll can, so we're still working on hardship. will constitute an unnecessary hardship upon the property owner represented in the application. Um, we, my experience on the board is kind of dovetailing on what board member Shalinsky is saying is if this property gets to the point where it can't be brought back, not only do you lose that, you know, that, that original property that's been sitting in that spot for 110 years, but putting something back in that spot. And then as he said, yeah, something that's adjacent to a historical property, that would be really, really, really interesting trying to figure out, you know, the, the peg that'll fit in the, the hole that the code would, would allow in that spot. Um, I think also, as I recited, you know, a couple of minutes ago, there's been this evolution of zoning within that neighborhood that has altered some things about what can be done as a house that was originally built as what an eight bedroom house. 
and now there's some things regarding you know the zoning and whatnot in this neighborhood that are could be considered to be somewhat restrictive as to you know what compared to what would could originally be done with that property so i think i think there's more than one hardship that could be picked out here and that's just me talking but i feel like i feel like there i think somebody could objectively find a hardship here does anybody else have anything they want to share on that no okay so on to number four condition four that the variance desired will not adversely affect the public health safety morals order convenience prosperity or general welfare anybody tessa are you trying to say something I didn't think it was an issue. You don't think it's an issue? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's hard for me to scroll back and forth between the staff report and my and the Zoom. How did staff address number four without number. me having to look? If number staff four. said it's not a problem, then it's That's not a problem. Is that was that your point, Tressa? Yes, it said the variance would not create an adverse effect. Okay, I'm good with that. Well, there you go. So on to number five. Um, that granting the variance desired will not be opposed to the general spirit and intent of this chapter. We talk so much about number five. And there is the cold reading of the code which i've said over and over throughout the years that we do our best designing the code to provide stability predictability you know and achieve the general welfare but at the same time we have 110 year old properties sitting in neighborhoods that have evolved wildly over the years from where they started and we end up with square pegs and round holes and that's why this board exists to give the code life to you know put living breathing people um, to apply the code to situations where it just doesn't fit cleanly and i think this is one of those instances um the code wants properties to be restored to use the code wants um they want healthy neighborhoods they want you know where i'm going with this anybody else have any thoughts on number five you know i don't know exactly how to word this but i go back to uh the discussion in the staff report about the 4,500 gross uh, square feet uh, structures that are that size or larger, uh, providing half of the number of parking spaces. And I thought, you know, I mean, talk about zone, uh, talk about changes in the code. 
I don't know exactly when that was changed from a minimum of 3,500 uh, square feet to 4,500 square feet, but it's, it's catching this particular structure now. Right. It would have been permitted before, not now. Right, right. Any other discussion? Luke Mortensen, I'll just mention to answer um, Board Member Hill, that footnote was changed with the text amendment in 2012. Right. And, uh, you know, in some ways that goes to the uniqueness because um, we... Um, We've got a we've got a code that is trying to, and I'm sorry that our overlay districts are not written better or differently, because we've got a code that is um, addressing the heart of the Oread neighborhood, or maybe not the heart of it, but certainly the heart of the city and the edge of the Oread neighborhood, and at the same time uh, addressing um, Simple Lane. And um, how do you, you know, how do you do that? Um, and they do the best they can, but... Um, right. And I, I, I take Tress's point that, um, you know, the rules keep changing because the city keeps growing. And um, as Travis said, that's why we exist, to try and make sense of it all. And to pile on, I would also opine this. You were also in a situation where we have a land development code that, as we speak, is beginning the process of being updated so that it will align with our comprehensive plan. And our comprehensive plan very loudly talks about infill development. And, you know, the eight bedrooms here are eight bedrooms of apartments that, you know, we might not see in far South Lawrence or far West Lawrence or something like that. So I believe that that is very much, you know, within the spirit, certainly of the comprehensive plan. And remember, the code is the code says and practically in its preface, the code is subordinate to the comprehensive plan. Comprehensive plan says do infill development. This is to me, this is infill development. Um, so it puts people at kind of a different disadvantage because the comprehensive plan says one thing and the code hasn't quite caught up yet but should be caught up within the next 18 to 24 months, which might make our meetings a little more interesting or less interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll see. So anyway, does anybody have any further discussion or does anybody want to make a motion? Uh, 
as the perpetual no vote on this board, I'm shocking myself, but um, I'm going to move approval of the, the, the uh, variance. All right, board member I, I think the uh, I think the conditions are met. I came in here kind of skeptical, but um, I, I really think that's the right thing to do. All right, board member Shalinsky has moved to grant the variance as requested by the applicant. Is there a second to this motion? I second that. All right, board member Hill is seconded. I'd ask staff to call the roll. Uh, Luke Morrison, Planning Development Services. Before I call roll, I will just mention I took note of uh, this seeming conflict, this code conflict regarding continuance of meetings, and I'll um, reach out to our city attorney to get that straightened out and bring you back uh, some notes on that in September. Thank you, Luke. But regarding the motion that's on the floor, a motion to approve the variance as requested by the applicant and as stated in the staff report. Board Member Shalinsky. Yes. Board member Hill. Yes. Board member Herod. Yes. And board member Rankin. Yes. The motion carries. Thank you to the applicant. Thank you to staff. Okay. So I believe at this point, unless there's um, new business, old business that the Board of Zoning Appeals needs to take care of. Do you know of anything, Luke? I'll, I'll save the housekeeping for the end of the um, sign code. Okay. So I believe it would be in order for us to adjourn the Board of Zoning Appeals so that we can convene the sign code Board of Appeals. That's correct. So I'd be looking for a motion to adjourn the Board of Zoning Appeals. All motion to adjourn uh, the board and zoning appeals. All right, is there a second? All second. All right, it's been moved and seconded to adjourn the board of zoning appeals. I'd ask staff to call the roll. All right, motion to adjourn the board of zoning appeals. Chair or board member Shalinsky. Yes. Board member Hill. Yes. Board member Herod. Yes. And board member Rankin. Yes. Motion carries. All right. So we'll now convene the sign code board of appeals. Welcome everybody. It's good to see you all. And shall we, do we need to do our preliminaries as far as communications and any communications that come before the sign code board of appeals, Luke? Um, I'd actually, I'd like to do quorum uh, first of all, and, uh, and I'll go through that if you, if you'll have it. I keep stepping on your lines, Luke. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> no problem. All right. So, so we are looking for, we'll take roll here for the sign code board of appeals, um, beginning with board member Shalinsky. I'm still here. Board member Clark. Board member Hill. Yes. Board member Gardner. Board member Herod. Here. Board member, board member Rankin. Here. And board member Weisner. All right, Chair, we have quorum. All right, thank you. Do we need to do anything regarding communications? I'll go ahead and I, I presume that we're not going to defer anything tonight. Is that right? 
Correct. Um, to my knowledge, there are no additional communications before the board. The, any communication should be in the packet. And then, correct, this item will not be deferred. All right. And then I'll just, just out of a sense of completeness, ask the board or any, any ex parte communications or anything that you need to let us know about. The board probably feels like they took care of that at the front end of the meeting. All right. It doesn't sound like there's any ex parte communications or abstentions that the board, sign code board of appeals needs to let us know about. So with that being said, it looks like the one and only agenda item for the sign code board of appeals tonight is captioned SV-22-00225. And I'd ask staff to present on this item. Thank you, Chair Herod. Um, my name is Timberly French, Plans Examiner um, for Building Safety Division for the City of Lawrence, here to um, read our staff report for the um, variance item. Uh, today we are presenting um, the requested variance is to deviate from the provisions of Section 51819C2 for restrictions by sign type for permanent freestanding signs of the Code of the City of Lawrence. Um, for the minimum base width of a monument sign, the request is to place a permanent freestanding sign that has a base that is not 65% of the width of the widest part of the sign and the proper is zoned IGFP, which is the um, industrial zoning district. Um, the criteria for approval from the sign code. Per section 51828, the board may grant variances from any person seeking a sign permit that cannot meet the restrictions or standard. Um, standards of the sign code upon the determination that all of the following findings have been fully met. Number one, at the time a variance is granted by the board, the board shall find that the variance request arises from conditions that are unique to the location in question, which are not ordinary found in the same zoning district and that the unique conditions are not caused or created by action or actions of the property owner or applicant. And number two, at the time a variance is granted by the board, the board shall find the variance of the area or injurious to a property or improvements in such zoning districts or the neighborhood in which the property is located. And number three, at the time a variance is granted by the board, the board shall find that the strict application of the requirements of Article 18, Chapter 5 of the City Code would result in practical difficulties or unnecessary hardships to the owner or applicant, inconsistent with the general purpose and intent of the sign code. Such practical difficulties or unnecessary hardships may include compliance with amended provisions of the sign code that were not in effect at the time a predecessor sign was installed. Um, staff's opinion is that the request does not meet the criteria for granting of a variance. In the opinions of staff, conditions do not exist which are unique to the location and which are ordinarily found in the same zoning district. Um, the proposed sign design does not meet the minimum base requirements for a monument style design required by Section 51819C2. 
which states that a monument sign shall have a base of at least 65% of the width of the widest part of the sign and not more than 125% of the width of the widest part of the sign. The design was reviewed by the Monument Sign Design Review Committee and was not approved for the exception that the code provides for a base that is at least 33% of the width of the widest part of the sign and not more than 150% of the width of the widest part of the sign. A small portion of the proposed sign does meet the um, the requirement at a point that's greater than six feet in height, but tapers into a width that is less than the required 65% at the lowest part of the sign where it rests on the ground. Because the code does not specifically state that a portion of the base can be 65% of the width of the widest part of the sign to satisfy the requirement, staff has determined that the code's intent is that the entire base of the sign must meet the minimum width in order to comply. Staff has found no unique or extraordinary conditions that exist that restrict the design of the proposed sign from meeting the code requirement. The code does not restrict the applicant from having a base that varies in width as long as the minimum width is not less than 65% of the width of the widest part of the sign. Uh, the second criteria, in the opinion of staff, the granting of a variance may not be materially detrimental to the public welfare or injurious to the property or improvements to the neighborhood. Um, granting of the variance for a monument sign that has a base that does not meet the width requirements may not be um, materially detrimental um, to the public welfare uh, or injurious to the property or improvements of the neighborhood. And the third criteria, in the opinion of staff, the strict application of the requirements of the sign code does not result in practical difficulties or unnecessary hardships inconsistent with the general purpose and intent of the code. It is the goal of the governing body to protect and to enhance the public and private investment in real property by permitting signs of appropriate design scale and placement such that they are appropriately conspicuous, visible, and legible. The proposed sign could be compliant by having a minimum width of the base eight feet wide, which is 65% of the widest part of the sign, rather than tapering the base to a width that does not meet the minimum width required by code. This design would not affect the scale or placement, keeping the sign visible and legible. It would not create an unnecessary hardship. Um, to widen the minimum width of the base to meet the requirements of the code. Evidence has not been provided to show that the code cannot be met. And staff recommends denial of the requested variance for the permanent freestanding sign with a base that does not meet the width requirement found in 518.19 C2 because all three of the criteria have not been met. Conditions are not unique to the user and structure. The requested variance is not detrimental to the public welfare and the strict application of the sign code regulations would not cause practical difficulties or unnecessary hardships to the applicant. And I would like to say the sign code does not define base. And when it, it's not defined in the code, we have to use the most common definition. Um, and the common definition of base, when you look in the dictionary, is the lowest part or edge of something, especially the part in which it rests or is supported. Um, the applicant does indicate in their application that other signs do not have the appropriate base in the city of Lawrence. Um, I was emailed about two of them, which I was able to um, 
look up and confirm one uh, that was found was never applied for, um, never given a permit with the city didn't approve it. So it's an enforcement action at this time um, to bring that sign into compliance. Another sign that was mentioned to us um, was a non-conforming sign that had an approved permit that um, was non-conforming. What I found was it was installed in 2006 and then updated in 2017. Uh, a, a previous approval does not set precedence for future non-compliance. The city cannot knowingly waive a code requirement. Um, and that concludes the staff report. Thank you. I'm available for questions if there's any. Thank you, Timberly. Um, and just so that I'm clear, I think I missed the punchline on the last sign that you were telling us about. So what, so uh, what was a variance granted in 2006 and then something else happened in 2017? Uh, no, that particular sign was a, um, a sign that was approved with a permit in 2006. Um, and so it had an approved permit. It, um, has it had two bases um so two bases and then the um sign on top of it um i don't i didn't do the measurements if the bases were 65 percent of the widest part of the sign i didn't review that myself um but the sign was a, an approved sign um and then in 2017 it was upgraded it was a um, a time and temp sign and then when we got our new code in 2017 was upgraded to an EMC sign. So um, that was the other sign that was mentioned that didn't meet the base requirements. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Is there any questions for staff? All right. I don't see any questions for staff. Do we have the applicant with us tonight? All right. Yes, I'm here. Go ahead. My name is Ryan Shirley, and I'm the owner at the property in question, 1545 North 3rd Street. Um, part of answering all three uh, requirements for the variate or for the variance um, are kind of difficult because we don't really feel like we need a variance. Um, we've been uh, working in the city for um, about 17 years, very familiar with the code. Um, the base requirement has been the same uh, to my knowledge, since we started in 2005, um, we've actually pulled permits that have bases of varying width um, and have got permits, installed them. Um, I brought a couple other uh, more to Timberley's attention that, um, to my knowledge, have varying widths. And, um, and, and quite my main question was, um, if the city approved those, why are we being told that our sign is not up to code? Um, so that that that's that's the main thing here. We we did apply for another um, sketch with a base that I knew was not sixty five percent the width of the sign, but I was aware of the monument sign design review committee. And so it was denied, and we um, we, we asked them to review it. Um, they denied that, and then this is our second uh, or second um, permit application. And my intention was to apply for a sign that would be approved. 
And so when it wasn't approved, I was kind of surprised. So that leads us to here. So um, if you have any questions, one thing that, that actually we have not discussed, I've not discussed with staff, um, but our, our property is kind of unique in the zoning and what we are allowed. So we are allowed basically the biggest sign in town, to my knowledge, with it being 20 feet tall, allowed height, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's over 90 square feet is what we're allowed. Um, most of commercial zoning is 12 feet tall and 60 square feet is what is allowed. Um, and, to, uh, and so with, with a larger sign at that height, um, the 65% width um, is basically you're putting up a wall. And with that, I mean, it could, it could possibly have a viewing issue, you know, being able to see pulling in and out of our property. Um, like I said, that, that's just one thing that was brought up today. And I do have, I do have photos of signs in town. If you guys want to see them that we talked about, um, I have photos of five, five photos. So, um, well for now, let's, Let's do this, and I apologize, Mr. Shirley. Let's push pause just for a second, because I want to circle back to Timberley, and then I think we can have a more substantive conversation with you. Because, so, Timberley, will you just will you explain to us? So, what's going on? So, the base of the signs too is too narrow. Is that it? That's what's going on. Um, correct. So, the widest part of their sign is um, 12 feet. Uh, let me get my sketch out because I'm not on the computer. So the widest part of their sign is 12 feet in width. The code says that the base of their sign has to be 65% of the widest part of the sign. So stop right there. Okay. <laughs> so now, next question, why does the code say that? Why does the code care? Because if this is it is it like a stability thing? Like then we don't want the sign to blow over in a in a wind or what's what's this proportion thing going on that we have to adhere to? So as far as my knowledge goes, from discussions with other staff um, as well as reading um, sign codes across the country, and the city. Uh, prohibits pole signs. So a monument design is required and a monument design is really with that, that base that supports the sign. Um, the, you know, the uh, definition of the monument sign, um, I can pull that here if you give me just a second, but as our code defines a monument sign, which I am going to be the first to say the definition is not um, Great, but it's what we have to interpret. Um, so a monument sign is a type of permanent freestanding sign mounted on an enclosed solid base or ornamental surface structure or on poles, pylons, or similar structures that are concealed with a pole cover, pylon cover, or cladding. And then it goes further into that definition um, when you go to that 5-18, um, 19, uh, C2 that a monument sign has to have this base. And there are some exceptions. If there is an exception in the code that says it can be 33%, um, not less than 33%, if it's reviewed and approved by the Monument Design Review Committee, which I have seen several signs that have been approved um, through that committee, um, but this one was not approved. 
did they advise why they didn't approve it? Um, I believe um, our code official Brian's here as well. He can correct me if I'm wrong, but they um, did not feel that the design was appropriate for the monument at that scale, um, that it um, uh, was it was more of a pole sign is what the general consensus was that it was um, with the width and the, the height of the sign um, and the width of the base, it was leaning towards a pole sign, which is um, on the prohibited, it's a prohibited sign in the city of Lawrence. All right. Thank you, Timberly. Yes. And so I had pushed pause on, on Mr. Shirley and we promise we're coming back. All right. We're not going to forget about you. So do any of the other board members have any questions? for Ms. French or Mr. Jimenez even, since he's with us, though I don't know if he wants to talk to us or not, but. <laughs> I could expand on the question about your um, board member Herod about your question, why? Sure, go if ahead. You, if, if you would like, I, I'm, I hate to admit it, but I was around at that time um, when we had our previous sign code. There was a big push, not only within the city, but other cities throughout the country to to start um, get, getting rid of um, pole signs um, for their aesthetics and, and how most people felt they didn't look very well, very good from the streetscape. So what happened is we were looking at ways of trying to um, go away from pole signs and, and they are not permitted in our current current code, which I think is about five years old. Um, so where we went sign, can we just pause there for a second by pull sign? Am I thinking of like what I see on the interstate where we have a great big, like, you know, metal cylinder punched into the ground, it goes up and then it says, you know, whatever, yeah, truck, yeah. truck or buffet or something like that. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you, okay. if you drive down 23rd street, you'll still see those because if you don't change the sign face out and the use doesn't change that doesn't um, require a new site plan approval, that sign face can basically be changed out. So for example, I think Wendy's has one. So Wendy's applies for a new sign permit and Timberly, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they could replace that face of that sign with a new Wendy's sign and keep that because it's a non-conforming sign that hasn't changed the square footage of the sign face itself. Okay. So what happened is when we adopted the new code, like Timberly said, the, the, the one thing that um, we've discovered a little bit, well, it's problematic is the definition of base. Our conclusion and our interpretation is, as the basic definition in the dictionary is that base, a base is at ground level, it's connected to the earth. That's where the base starts. Um, so what happened is when we adopted the new code, we had, we had to define them and, and Timberly gave you the definition of monument, but basically a monument sign can have poles, but it has to be covered by cladding or pole pole cladding, so it doesn't right. represent as a pole sign. So uh, I, I spoke to Ryan on the phone at length about this. I think his sign actually has poles inside that are, are that are wrapped. Um, I think our position is, if you look at the sign um, at, at ground level where we believe the base would start, um, that that's where it needs to meet that that percentage. Of, of width of the total width of the sign. Um, I am on the Monument Design Review Committee um, with our director, um, Porter Arnelli, um, a cultural arts um, person, and Lynn Zollner, 
our historic resource administrator. And we did review this, looked at it in detail, and we were unanimous in our interpretation that's being presented tonight. And then that was conveyed back to the applicant, and here we are. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Jimenez. And just fair access, does any other, any other board member have any questions for Mr. Jimenez before I head on back to our applicant? All right, no. So, Mr. Shirley. <laughs> So here's the first thing that I that I want to ask, and I bet you some others will jump in. So you're in the sign business in City of Lawrence, County of Douglas, and you make and install signs for a living. Is that a true statement? Correct. And you, I think you advised us that you were surprised or taken aback when this sign that you proposed didn't pass muster. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So will you amplify on that for us? Let so what what happened? <laughs> so like I said, the, so the uh, part of it was it was denied because it's considered a pole sign. And so in my application, I said the city's definition of a pole sign is a sign that has a bare pole. Our sign does not have a bare pole, so it is clearly not a pole sign. Um, by by the city's definition, it is considered a monument sign. Uh, the now the base does not, or I'm sorry, the city does not define base. So it finds, I find it hard to say the base is not 65% the width of the sign um, because the city does define a pole cover. And exact in our industry, we make it real easy. A pole cover covers a pole. So our pole cover starts at one width and tapers out to a width that is over 65% the width of the sign. Um, so in nowhere in the code, does it say the entire base or pole cover, um, has to be 65% the width sign or, uh, must maintain the same width. Um, that that's all going by what the actual city code says. Um, and on top of that, we have applied for sign permits that have a certain width and it tapers to a smaller width in the past and the city has approved it so okay can you and this might already have been stated if it it was i apologize but is pole sign is that defined in our code and timberly saying yes yes yeah. it is timberly can give you that definition if you'd like uh yes so code says that a pole sign is um a type of permanent freestanding sign constructed on one or more poles pylons or similar structures so that the bottom edge of the sign surface is elevated above the ground and the poles pylons or similar structures are not concealed with a pole cover pylon cover or cladding and okay. I believe in your packets that you got, we did, um, there was an email attached that said we were not considering this a pole sign. We, this is a monument sign that does not meet the minimum. Base. I hear you. And so now someone hold my hand because it sounds like what, because Mr. Jimenez was very kind and gave us, you know, situational awareness about kind of the evolution of our code in this aspect. So yeah, you said, we're not considering this a pole sign but at the same time it sounds like this particular sign has stepped on a landmine called pole sign because 
we're not allowing it because we don't want pulse signs, but it's not a pulse sign. Well, if it's not a pulse sign, then we're good to go, right? No, because the base does not meet the minimum width requirement required by code. But base uh, isn't I... defined in the code though, right? Base is not defined in the code. So you have to use the common definition. For base. Well, you, there's a lot of things you can do when you're reading code. And there's some things, yeah, you, you look at, you know, the, the common reading. Um, another thing that you do is it's more ambiguous, you know, more amorphous as you look at the spirit of the code. And then another thing you do is what's called in materiae, which is you look at it in the, the broad context of the code. And just to telegraph for you, that's where I am right now, is in the broad context of the code, we've been advised we had an issue, we didn't want poll signs, and I totally get that. And then we even have a definition that tracks really nicely with Mr. Jimenez, advised us, you know, was the problem, what they were trying to address. But yet, you know, within that has wandered this particular sign, which is because this base is, we're missing two and a half feet of base here, you know, it's really being looped into the prohibition that was created to get rid of pull signs. And so what, what we're seeing here is we're seeing an incomplete code. We're seeing a code that addressed one problem, but by doing so, didn't go and fully flesh out what the other side looks like. And so stuff, in my opinion, is getting clipped by this admonition, this prohibition against poll signs. And so when I look at that in perimateriae, you know, in the broad context of what the code is doing and what's going on around it, I don't think, I don't think this is an appropriate application of the code. Is it a letter, you know, to the letter application of code? Yes, but that's why we have, that's why we have other tools to interpret um, code when we find ambiguity within it. And so having opined wildly, I'll go back to Mr. Shirley. Mr. Shirley, is there anything else you want to share with us on this issue? No, but I'm I'm uh, free to answer any questions you guys may have for me. Thank you. You kind of read my mind there. Does any other board member have any questions for the applicant? Uh, I I'm going to start with staff. Um. So, if base is not defined. Um, we, we have a situation where the width of the base needs to be a minimum of 65% of uh, the width of the sign. Is there any um, guidance on the height of the base, uh, you know, what 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 is considered quote a base? In other words, um, you know, six inches, two feet. If um, if he pours sixty six percent of concrete um, three inches above ground level, does that constitute a base? That would be up for interpretation. Our interpretation would be um, no. Well, that 
that would be a base. But if you had a pull coming from that base, again, that would not meet the intent of the sign code. Um, the sign code is meant to um, have a monument style design, which is what the code states. There is an exception for that base requirement, the base width. Um, so there are provisions in the code for that. It does not give a height. It does not give a definition um, based on other codes that I could find around other jurisdictions. It's where a delineation of the sign occurs. So the base goes up until the sign is there and that entire portion is the base. Based on other codes, that's not our code though. There is no definition on our code, which is lacking. <laughs> Once again, pole sign is specifically is specifically defined as it's an unclad pole, right? Correct. And you would agree with me, this this is clad at the very least. It's correct. I'm not calling this a pole sign. But yet correct. it's being prohibited because we hmm. defined what the problem was, but we didn't do a good job of going the other side of the code and defining what the problem isn't. If and I can speak to that, that. If I can speak to that, I would like to, if I may. Well, let's give Mr. Shirley a chance to take questions, and then we'll we'll circle back to staff here in a second. All so, right, so I'm going to ask Mr. Shirley a question. Um, we, we've obviously got a problem here between um, staff's interpretation and um, what you would like to do, um, but I'll phrase it as what you would like to do. We are at a site right now where there is no sign currently. Um, as I always do, I drive by the site. So there's sort of a, a blank canvas here. Um, and a lot of opportunities to um, be creative with it. Um, what is your hardship or what is your difficulty um, with creating a sign that would have a 65% base? So we, we have went round and round with designs and essentially it's aesthetics. Um, that, that, that wide of a base with our sign and as big as it is, um, we don't find, we don't think it would look good to be honest. I mean, to have it be straight down. Um, and, and, and I mean, and then the other side of things is we have had signs approved in the past that had a similar variation and width of, of pull cover and wasn't questioned at all and was approved. All right, thanks. That was, I think, all I had at this point. Mr. Shirley, it was brought up a, a minute ago, and I forget by who, where I think the code would want us to would want this base of the sign to be eight foot wide. Is that right? It's technically seven point eight feet. Is sixty five percent? 
Okay, so 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 just short, and that right now the base is clocking in at five point two eight feet. Is that right? Uh, the bottom of the pole cover, yes. Right. So one of the things that I heard and it piqued my interest because we're sitting out there on on it's we're on Highway Twenty Four leading up to Highway Twenty Four, aren't we? Where we are out there. Yes. So somebody was talking about you know, an eight foot wide sign out there might not actually be the best thing because something could be behind it. I mean, so, I mean, could an argument be made that it would actually be better to have a sign that's five and a quarter feet at its base rather than eight feet because of something that could be behind it? I mean, it's not hiding anything behind it, right? Unless there's, there's less area to hide behind, right? So I I I, brought, I did bring that up. That that was not part of our uh, question for a variance, but um, we did we did look at putting an eight foot wide sign out there, and it is right beside our entrance. Um, the location of the sign is there because that's where a sign was installed previously, and there's power ran out there. Um, so I suppose you could technically say it could be installed at a different location, but um, that's where the sign has previously been installed. Right. Okay. So are there any more questions from the board members? No, no questions. All right. If there's no questions, then I'd be looking for a motion to close public comment. I don't see one of those either. <laughs> no questions and no motions. I'll, I'll submit a motion to close public comment. All right, so it's been motion to close public comment. Is there a second? Um, I'll second that. All right, it's been moved and seconded to close public comment. I'd ask staff to call the roll on the motion. Motion to close sign code Board of Appeals public comment. Board member Shalinsky. Yes. Board member Hill. Yes. Board member Herod. Yes. And board member Rankin. Yes. Motion carries. Thank you, Luke. All right, board, it's to you. Anybody? Discussion? Questions? If there's no objection, motions? Well, I'm having difficulty with this. Um, I think what is being proposed is a nice looking sign. Um, I um, 
think that we clearly have a problem with our code that doesn't um, address some matters that we would hope would be addressed. Um, at the same time, I don't really think a compelling case has been made that um, this meets the three criteria. So that's this is what I'm, I would. I'm, 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 I'm willing to be convinced, but that's where I'm at right now. This is what I would submit, not to belabor it too much, because it's really not too much more we're going to do at this point other than make a motion. But I would, to my ear, I believe we are seeing evidence of ambiguity within our code. And I'll tell you what I believe that evidence is, is one, we have staff essentially telling us that the code's missing some things that they that would help them. We have our applicant who is in the business of making and installing signs in the city of Lawrence, advising us that we have an uneven application of the code. So clearly, we found an ambiguous section within our code, and their staff is doing their best to apply it. But yet the evidence before me is that it is incomplete. And as a result, we're having an uneven application of the code and take it one step further. I look at this, this isn't a poll sign and nor do I believe this should be a victim to the prohibition against poll signs. But yet, um, you know, staff has made a recommendation that we not grant the variance. So that's where I am. Well, I'd be really interested in hearing from our other two board members. <laughs> <laughs> Not well, that done. anyone is obligated to speak, but um, yeah, that would really help me. You don't have to, but we do ask you to vote when the time comes, all right? Rankin, uh, board member Rankin? Unfortunately, I don't have too much to add. Um, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as Shlinsky, uh, where yeah, the code isn't great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking at the sign, whether how how could it change to really fit in the code. Um, I don't know. I mean, if you make it all that five and just over quarter, um, but all the way straight up, you have to shrink down everything else. Yeah, look wise, just trying to imagine how that would look. I, I don't know. Board Member Hill, you are unmuted. You know, I'm going back to the criterion and I'm trying to uh, clarify in my mind 
you know, what's unique about the condition. I mean, I understand that base is not defined. I understand the uneven application. Can, can we use, use those reasons uh, when it comes? I'll, I'll let you see some of my cards. I would say yes, <laughs> but, but some other board members and possibly staff would disagree. But yeah, I believe that the code is ambiguous. I believe that in this instance, the code is improperly permitting what is not a pull sign because it's a pull sign. Um, I believe that creates uniqueness in my mind. Um, which then you just follow the cascade on down. Well, yeah, I mean, this sign isn't detrimental to the public welfare. It's just not, I mean, it's an appropriate, attractive sign. Um, then you get to three, I believe it would create a hardship because I do believe that, um, I believe the code is, I believe the evidence before us is that the code is being applied unevenly and that, you know, for whatever reason, this one here is being denied, but where similarly situated signs have been approved. Um, I believe that is a hardship. And I guess I could make an argument that um, the site is not unique. It's an industrial site on North Third Street um of which there are dozens and there's nothing about this one that is special or different from the whole surrounding neighborhood and the lack of hardship is that we've got people that are in the sign business who have the expertise and the skill to create any kind of sign to fit that non-unique property. Um, and they just happen to have a preference. And I think the sign is beautiful, um, but I'm not hearing any evidence that it's compliant. And, um, you know, I feel bad about it, but that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Well, I think it's time for somebody to make a motion. I'll telegraph, you know, as chair, traditionally, I don't make motions, but there's nothing prohibiting the chair from making a motion. But I think... I think board member Shalinsky's got one teed up ready to go. Yeah, um, I think I'm going to um, move denial of the application. All right, it's been moved to deny the application for this um, variance, I think. Um, is there a second for board member Shalinsky's motion? I'll second that motion. All right, board member Rankin has seconded um, before we call the roll, I'll just remind everybody that there's four of us here tonight, unfortunately. So if there is a tie, 
that is the same as the application fails. All right. It'd be the same as a denial. So with that said, Luke, will you call the roll? Yes. And so I just want to be clear, board member Shalinsky, your motion is a motion to deny the variance as requested by the applicant in the staff report. That's correct. That is correct. Okay. Thank you. Uh, board member Shalinsky. I'll vote for the motion. Board member Hill. I'll vote for the motion. Board member Herod. I will vote against the motion. And board member Rankin. I'll vote for the motion. The count is three to zero. The motion to deny carries. Um, it's three to one, Luke. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're correct. The motion was three to one. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for sticking around and, and helping us with this difficult um, application. So I believe there is nothing else on our agenda tonight. Is that correct, Luke? <laughs> You are correct. Um, as far as miscellaneous items go, we have at least two uh, submitted and accepted uh, Board of Zoning Appeals cases for September. Uh, our deadline is 3 p.m. tomorrow, and there could always be something on the last day of the month or on the, on the last day of the period. We have a number of board members' terms coming up uh, upon completion. Uh, we are working with the city manager's office on uh, some replacement appointments, uh, and we'll have a little bit more information on that in September. Okay. That's about it for me on miscellaneous items. So I think we have three board members whose last meeting would be September. Is that right? That's correct. Um, board member Clark, board member Gardner and board member Wisner which is a ton of institutional knowledge to lose overnight, but you know, there's nothing to be done. And they are not eligible for another term. Yeah. They're at the end of their second terms, right? That's correct. Right. All right. Well, with I have for us, so I'd be looking for a motion to adjourn. I'll make that. Oh, go ahead. One motion to adjourn. And I'll second. All right. It's been moved and seconded to adjourn. Luke, would you like to call the roll a final time? Motion to adjourn, sign code Board of Appeals. Board Member Shalinsky? Yes. Board Member Hill? Yes. Board Member Herod? Yes. And Board Member Rankin? Yes. Motion carries. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. See you Have later. Have a good night.